This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Podeco Energy. I'm Josh Siegel. New York officials say the state became one step closer this week toward being a nationwide climate leader. On Monday, the state's Climate Action Council approved a bunch of policies and initiatives to help meet its ambitious clean energy and climate targets. Perhaps the most impactful policy is the sweeping economy-wide cap-and-trade system for greenhouse gas emissions, a policy that had been on the ropes for a while, ever since Congress failed to pass a federal program in 2010. New York's new climate plan comes after more than two and a half years of work based on the state's 2019 climate law. But several criticisms and unanswered questions remain. So today we check in with Politico's Marie French about New York's nation-leading climate blueprint and what's missing. It's Thursday, December 22nd. So Marie, the New York Climate Action Council this week approved their first ever roadmap for how the state is going to achieve aggressive emissions reduction mandates. And it includes a policy that had seemed to be going out of vogue a bit, a cap and trade system. So can you break that program down for us, how it works and what it hopes to accomplish? This is a really interesting proposal coming out of the Climate Action Council. They're dubbing it cap and invest because the proceeds will be invested in efforts to continue to reduce emissions. But essentially, it's a basic cap and trade program. You set a cap on the amount of the greenhouse gas emissions you want across the economy, and then you have to auction off allowances to polluters, fuel wholesalers, utilities, anybody that is emitting a large amount of carbon into the atmosphere has to buy those allowances and they decline over time to continue to ratchet that down to achieve the state's goals. And then the state can invest the money in things like energy efficiency incentives or grants to communities to try to lower the amount of pollution. Even rebates for low-income households are under consideration to sort of cushion the higher energy costs that you would expect from that. Right. And so why is New York going with this approach? Why do they think it would be effective given we've seen cap and trade not work out or be able to be passed on the federal level? California has a program. And also, how is New York aiming to alleviate concerns from environmental justice groups who have criticized this approach? Well, so the Climate Council considered cap and trade alongside just a straight carbon tax, as well as sort of a little more complicated to explain, but like a clean energy standard program. They basically decided compared to a carbon tax with a cap and trade system or a cap and invest system, you can basically ratchet down the amount of emissions, right? You can say, this is how many emissions we're going to sell, their emissions allowances we're going to sell, and we're going to lower that over time. So we actually achieve the state's targets. I think, you know, a lot of the criticism of programs like the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative have centered around the cap's too high, so the price isn't very high for those emissions. So it's not maybe as, like, impactful as some people hoped, although it has raised a lot of money for the programs that it funds. In terms of environmental justice issues, that was a big component of the discussions, and I think will continue to be as they look forward to potentially implement this, because it's not a done deal yet. But they're basically looking to limit the amount of trading of allowances into disadvantaged communities that already bear a disproportionate burden of pollution. And looking at a few other mechanisms to just try to limit this potential for the creation or, you know, not getting as much reductions in these communities where historically they've already suffered a lot 
of the burden of co-pollutants that have very harmful health effects. And more broadly, New York's plan dedicates its largest focus on electrification of homes, businesses, and vehicles. So what needs to happen to achieve that ambitious goal? Yeah, so the plan does essentially call for electrifying everything. That relies, of course, also on greening the grid and building out a huge amount of new renewables and also an unidentified technology that can replace what gas plants do today. And that's going to rely on big investments in energy efficiency for homes, tightening the building shell, switching everybody over from fossil fuels to electric or geothermal heat pumps, and mandating that gas cars are phased out eventually, which kind of rests on some federal and and California action as well. There's some mandates as well, you know, banning gas and new construction, banning the replacement of fossil fuel appliances at the end of their useful life starting in 2030. So it's a mix of mandates and incentives, but I think it really does rest a lot on funding mechanisms. And I think that's why Cabin Invest has been such a focus. And so overall, what sort of unanswered questions remain moving forward? So many. Top of mind, I think, is obviously what the Hochul administration decides to do with this plan. The Department of Environmental Conservation, the the lead agency here, has a lot of authority under the state's climate law to implement regulations. They've said they think they could do cap and invest sort of unilaterally besides how they spend the money, which kind of would have to involve the legislature somehow. But the question is, you know, does she decide she wants to move forward with that, take the heat potentially for higher energy costs? Does the legislature move forward with some of the statutory components that this plan suggests that they need to do, like eliminating subsidies for gas hookups? I think there's, yeah, there's a lot of unanswered questions, and it's going to be a really exciting year to see how the state, both uh, on the executive and the legislative side, decide to move forward or not with this plan. Also, on Wednesday, environmental groups filed a lawsuit against the Biden administration seeking to halt a planned offshore oil lease sale in Alaska's Cook Inlet. The lawsuit was filed in the U.S. District Court of Alaska and targets the Interior Department's planned December 30th lease sale of over 955,000 acres in the inlet. The lawsuit alleges the environmental review that Interior used to underpin the sale incorporated flawed modeling to evaluate the impact oil and gas projects resulting from the sale would have on climate change. For context, the lawsuit is the latest in the back and forth between the Biden administration, oil companies that have pushed for offshore lease sales, and environmental groups that have sought to have them stopped. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power switch, and subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show is composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. I'm Josh Siegel, and we'll see you back tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Chevron, the human energy company. Did you know that Chevron is working with partners in California to convert the methane from cow waste into renewable natural gas that one day can help fuel trucks across the nation? Find out more at chevron.com slash RNG.